Awesome. Well, thank you guys for being here. Um, Pastor Zach is sick right now, and he called me early on this week and asked me if I'd be willing to step in. And um, I'm disappointed about the circumstances, right? We're praying that he's going to be back and better than ever soon. But I'm excited that I got the chance to be up here. Um, I don't know, a few months ago, I think it was an online-only service that week, but I got the opportunity to speak on worship. Did anybody go back and watch that? Just raise your hand. Just pretend that you did. If you didn't, just raise your hand so I feel good. Oh, yeah, everybody. Awesome. Great. Um, but when I was putting together notes for that, like, it just didn't stop. Like, this, this could go on forever in my heart. Um, worship is just something that blows up inside of me, right? Um, so I just wanted to hit a couple of the points that I brought up that in that first um, segment so we can all be on the same page, right? Um, so we could just talk about what worship actually means, right? Worship is to show reverence and adoration, and it's assigning worth to something, right? So if we use those definitions, we could describe it like this. Worship is honoring what you're assigning worth to in word and in action, right? So like, think about it. Who plays Wordle right now, right? Yeah, a lot of us do, right? I'm not, I'm not saying that any of us worship Wordle, but follow me. This morning I got here and one of the first thoughts that were in my head was, oh my gosh, I forgot to do Wordle yesterday. My streak is over. I know I would have gotten it, right? So there, there can be things that are important to us. And I think that we need to be genuine with ourselves and be cautious because when we assign value to something, and that's what our attention goes to, and that's what our focus goes to, it's very easy for that to start sliding into a place that's not good, right? I can work a job and I can feel good about myself and there could be tons of overtime at that job. And when I'm there, I could feel valuable. I could feel like, wow, what I'm doing is making a difference. And then I could want to be in church all, all that my heart desires on a Sunday, right? But maybe my boss comes up to me on Saturday. Hey, would you be willing to show up? I know we need you. You are important. You are the one, right? And then my ego kicks in. Well, that's good. Yeah, I, that makes me feel good. I, I like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can, I can, the, I'll watch online thing. No disrespect to people watching online. Hear my heart, right? But it's really dangerous because we could get to this place of, I'll do it later. Yeah, yeah, no, I know, but I, this is going on and I can't redo this and I can go back on YouTube and watch this. So I can just do both, right? There's this really weird place that we can get where we start assigning worth to something that's not him. And we need to be cautious about that, right? Are you with me? So the things that we assign worth to with our actions and words, those can become the things that we worship if we're not cautious about what we're doing. Um, and I think that's important because when we talk about worship, right, if I was to tell everybody, if I was to go on Facebook before, hey, Sean here, I'm speaking on Sunday, we would be talking about worship, right? A lot of you might think Elevation, Phil Wickham, a musical genre, right? And it's important that that's songs that we sing in a particular style to worship God, but that's not what worship is, right? And that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about a musical genre. We're talking about assigning worth with our actions and our words to something, worshiping something, right? So that's important to just, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about worship, right? The next thing that I want to bring up that's really important, it was the meat of what was in that message, so I encourage you to dig back and find it, but you are a priest, right? When you come to know the Lord, you are offered a job, so to speak, right? Anybody ever scrolled on Indeed looking for a job? And you're like, okay, this, this company is hiring this thing, right? This is offered to you. You are a priest. I want, the Lord is coming to you. I want you to be a priest. That's what you are called to be, 
right? Now, so that might be weird to some of you because you might think like holy water, pope, white collar, right? That's what a priest is. But this is like totally different, totally different realm. So if you will turn with me to Exodus 19, 5 and 6, it's going to be on the screen, but you can pull it up on your phone or your paper Bible. Um, We're going to read in a little bit of this and, and talk about what a priest really is. So Exodus 19, 5 and 6. It says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Now this is God speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai. He's got all the Israelites at the bottom of the mountain waiting for this message, right? And so he's... He's speaking life into this people. He's saying, you are my chosen people. I've set you apart. You are who I'm calling. I am calling you priests. And the thing is, while this is happening, right, Moses is up there. And then imagine Moses is surprised when he comes back down the mountain. Some of you might know this story, right? And Aaron's been down there, and everybody's kind of like, Moses has been up there for a long time. Like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm ready to do this thing. So I got an idea. Hey, Aaron. Let's collect all the gold and melt it down and build a calf. Golden calf, and we can worship that. Does that, everybody's like on, for some reason, everybody's like immediately on board with this. This sounds great, right? So imagine, I just think about being a dad. I don't know if any of you are parents, but have you ever like given instruction to your kid and you felt like they totally understood what you were saying, right? This is what I need you to do. Yeah, okay, got it, dad. No, exactly this. Repeat it back to me. All right. Perfect. And then you like go to the kitchen to get coffee and you come back and like your house has been blown up. You know what I mean? Like, what are you doing? What is going on? Right? That had to be how Moses felt. He had to be like so pumped. Like he's on the mountain. God is speaking to him. Here's the Ten Commandments. I'm calling you to be priests. Now go get your people. And Moses is like, yes. It goes down. And like, it's just this crazy golden calf being built. Aaron's like, I don't know, Moses, it was them. I don't know what happened. Right? That had to be frustrating. That had, to be, that had to grieve him, right? That had to grieve him because think about where they had gone. Think about the journey that they had been on. Think about where they were in Egypt, that God had called them out, that every step of the way, like God was extravagant in the way that he rescued them. This set the captives free, right? He, he marched them in front of the enemy. He vanquished the enemy in front of them with the Red Sea in the most marvelous way, like, look what I will do for you when you follow me. And as they went, right, There was a cloud and there was a pillar of fire. There was manna from heaven. Everything that they needed was handed right to them. But look how quick it was when they assigned worth to, I don't feel like sitting here right now. I want to move. Why do I have to wait? I know what I can do that makes me feel good and that's all I care about right now. I'm uncomfortable and I know how to be comfortable, right? And so... They didn't see that their focus was going from assigning worth to God. I don't know where you're going, but the track record says I don't need to. Like this, but I don't like where I am today, right? That had to be so grieving for Moses. And in Exodus 32, Moses addressed their idol worship and said, all right, that's it. Line in the sand. Like if you are for the Lord over here, if you're not, Done. And the Levites were the only one who answered the call. That was it. So it wasn't, God didn't only call the Levites to be the priests. God called them all, and the Levites were the only ones that were willing to sacrifice what it took to be the priests that God called them to be. 
And so in the book of Numbers chapter 1, and we're going to get into this a little bit later, but we see that the Lord gave the ministry of the tabernacle as meeting place to the Levites. They were devoted to his holiness. And so again, this call was to all of the nation. This call was the Lord called all of his people to him to be priests. But the responsibility was on those people to answer that call, right? And so the thing is, it wasn't even just the nation of Israel at that time that God was calling. God called you. And God called me. God called everyone in this room. And that, that plan was fulfilled with the work that Jesus did on the cross. And so if we turn to 1 Peter 2.5, I'll show you what I mean. And it says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. To be a holy what? Priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, just a little footnote, right? A little rabbit trail. It wouldn't say to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God if there were spiritual sacrifices that were always acceptable to God, right? There's something that we can offer, right? So for me, I can't judge anybody else, but for me, I know that I have to walk into this room on Sunday and my heart has to be right with him or this is a waste of time for you, right? And that doesn't mean that God can't move and people can't be touched by him. But what I'm saying is that I understand that my responsibility when I come in here is that what I offer him is acceptable. And I have to know that I can choose to offer something that looks pretty good and is worthless in the sight of God. But we're being built up to be a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And in 1 Peter 2.9, it goes on to say, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's who we are. That's our mission. Our mission is to proclaim what he has done for us, Right? The Israelites had that opportunity when they were in a place of discomfort, when they were experiencing a season that they didn't like, to say to each other even, to build each other up, even though I don't like where I am, he brought me from Egypt to here safely. He brought me not only that, he didn't just get me there, he brought me on a journey so I would watch that the enemy can't stop me at any point. He brought me in front of the enemy. He pranced me out to say, there's nothing you can do to them because I have them, right? That was the responsibility to see that. That responsibility was to proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I promise you, no matter where you are, what season that you're in, if you know Christ as your savior, that's your goal and you can do that. If you take a moment to step outside of the flesh to say, I don't like where I am today, but man, I remember where I was and I am thankful that I am here today. That he's building me up to be someone who's going to be able to look back to today and go, thank you, God, right? Because there's a world that needs that. In church, there's people in here that you know that need that. There are people in here that are going to be walking through seasons that hurt, that are hard, and our responsibility as a family is to stand in the gap for that person and say, I know that you're struggling and I love you and I'll pray for you, but can I remind you where he's brought you from? Let me tell you my story. No matter what your story looks like today, that is something that you can proclaim. Okay, so hopefully we're all on the same page now. This is what worship is. We're called to be priests. So what do we do now? Right? Okay, I'm supposed to be a priest, and that was some good-sounding stuff, but 
I need to know, right? I've never gone on Indeed and been like, this job sounds good and shown up and just started working. And I've had a lot of jobs. <laughs> never done it, right? This sounds good. I'm answering the call. Now what, right? So we're going to turn to Numbers chapter 1, verse 50 and 51, and we're going to look to see what the Levites did, right? The Levites answered that call. They said, all right, Lord, I'm following you. I've screwed up, and I'm sorry, but I'm answering the call. I'm going to be a priest. What do I do now, right? So Numbers chapter 1, we're going to look at that. Verse 50 says, but appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony and over all of its furnishings and over all that belongs to it. They are to carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings, and they shall take care of it, shall camp around the tabernacle. When the tabernacle is set out, the Levites shall take it down. When the tabernacle is to be pitched, the Levites shall set it up. And if any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. Like, that's intense, right? Levites were probably like, yeah, priest, let's do it. So what am I supposed to do? Well, I got to kill him? Okay, right? You know what I mean? Um, but the responsibility, we could break it down, was to set up and tear down and transport and guard and attend to the ministry of the tabernacle. The priests are called to steward the tabernacle, and that's what we're called to do, right? The word tabernacle means tent. The tent in this verse is one that God commanded Moses to set up as a place for the Israelites to learn to worship him. Scripture refers to it as a tent of meeting or the tent of congregation. It's a place that God set apart and consecrated as a meeting place between himself and his people. So a priest's job was to carry the tent around with the ark, protect it, set it up in a certain way, tear it down in a certain way, make sure that nobody that wasn't supposed to be there was there. They had to steward the tabernacle. It was, that was their job. That was their focus. And so what that looks like for me personally here in my role as the worship leader is to set the table, so to speak, for worship, right? Now, now we're tr in worship, what I'm talking about now is the songs that we sing at the beginning of service, right? That's my job is to set that up. And like I said before, part of that job is to make sure that my heart is right, beyond just the natural, have the music for the musicians and have rehearse and all these things, right? We recognize, and I will tell you that there was such a big shift in the culture of worship in this church when I'll say we got the vision. It's never me, right? But when this team got the vision that we aren't up here to sing some songs to make you happy, we're up here to pour everything we have to him and you guys do whatever you want. Does that make sense? Like, and when we were willing to do that, when I was willing to stop, because there was a season, I'll be honest, right? There was a season where I didn't know what I was doing. And so to me, it was just kind of like a concert. Like it was this constant moving target of what songs can I sing that will raise the most hands? What song can I sing that will make the most tears come out of people's eyes and be down at the altar? And what can I see with my eyes that will encourage my own ego that I'm doing a good job? Right? And I didn't, I didn't understand that that's what I was doing. To me, I just want them to worship. And it's frustrating when they don't. That was just my own selfish, ugly pride. And the moment that God really revealed to me, like, Sean, it's not about what they can give to you. It's about what you can give to me. That's all I want. And so the personal responsibility for you guys regardless of what song we're singing or what season you're walking through or who's sitting next to you is what did you bring to give to him? Because as we talked about before, there are sacrifices that we can give that are not acceptable to him. 
And we have to recognize that. We can't just walk in here and pretend like if I stand up for four songs, that that's one of the boxes I've checked to go to church this week, right? And if that's what you do, then that's what you do. But don't expect a life abundant. Don't get upset. Don't cry when life isn't going your way because there is personal responsibility that I have to make sure that's happening, right? There's a contract that exists between me and God, and God said, listen, this is what I'll do, but this is what you have to. And it's really easy to expect him to go his halfway and and cry because we're not seeing anything because I won't move, because I'm uncomfortable, because I don't understand why I'm still waiting for Moses up on the mountain for what we're supposed to do, right? But so that's what it looks like for me here. But in 1 Peter, it says all of us are priests, right? So we're all called to set up those meeting places between God and man. And that's not just set apart for the people that are up here, right? That might look differently on Sunday morning for us than it does for you, like we just talked about, but that doesn't mean it's just us. It's just the worship team, the worship leader, whatever, right? If we go back to 1 Peter 2.5, you yourselves, like living stones, are built up as a spiritual house, right? Tabernacle is a tent. The tent is where the meeting place of God and man, that's what the priests were doing. We're being built up as a I'm being built up as a spiritual house. You're being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. In other words, when you're a priest, everywhere you go is an opportunity. You're carrying the tent with you if you're you're doing what you're supposed to do, right? So when I leave here today and I go home, I set up a tent that's a meeting house between God and Sarah and Ezra and Emmett and Sam and Maya and Owen and whoever else is at that house. That's my responsibility. I have the tent with me. And if my job is to make sure that it's set up and torn down wherever God wants that to be, then that's what I'm supposed to do. And when I go to work, when you go to work, you have a tent on your back. And so you're supposed to walk into that place and say, today, I'm bringing the author and finisher of it all. I'm bringing the one who has the answer to every possible question every person has here. I have it with me, but I don't set it up because why? Because of how they'll look at me? I don't set it up because why? Because that means that I can't slack on what I would do. You know, I I live a different life on Sunday with my church friends than I do at work with my work friends, right? And I don't set up that tent. That's my job. I answered the call, right? When God said I'd save you, that sounded good. I wanted to do that. But then when I found out what it cost... I'm not willing to set it up. I love you guys, but I'm just going with it, right? Because I don't, I don't, I've lived my life in church and I've seen so much wasted time. And so I want to answer the call the way that we're supposed to. We're supposed to steward his presence at the gas station, checking out at Walmart, at the movie theater, everywhere I go. Everywhere I go, there's that opportunity. Imagine how different our day would look if that's what we did. You know, I was talking to my brother-in-law some number of months ago, and we were just talking about work and frustrations and everything. And something that I had heard once, and I don't even know who I heard it from. Shout out to whoever it was. It wasn't me, right? I'm not taking the credit for it. But, you know, um, in Mark 16, 15, where it talks about going into all the world and preaching the gospel, someone said, replace the name of your workplace with all the world, right? Right? So the Lord said to me, go into Family Violence Project and preach the gospel. Go into Walmart and preach the gospel. Go to the gas station and preach the gospel. Right? And that's not a soapbox to stand on and say you're going to hell. 
right? That's loving somebody where they're at and saying, I'm sorry you're going through this, but can I tell you something? There's a hope for you. Because I've been where you've been, and maybe I am where you are, but I have hope, and this is why. Everywhere we go, we're supposed to be doing that. It just opened my eyes to what I was missing in my frustrations, right? Sometimes I, I wear a lot of hats, and, uh, you know, a week like last week, right, it was crazy. I worked my normal job, and I was here every single day because Pastor Zach's been sick, and the building was falling apart, and it's, it's, it's taxing in my flesh. But the thing was, it was taxing because I was in my flesh, right? And that it's like a perspective shift if I go, I'm tired, but you said that you give me rest. I don't have it to give, but luckily you don't want what I have to give because it's not very good right now. You have it to give. Right? We don't have to be so, we don't have to be that stressed. Just, just, let's just dwell on that one thing. Next week, I charge you, if you are struggling with going to work, every day you get up, say, God, your word told me to go into, insert workplace here and preach the gospel. Give me an opportunity today. And if you're not feeling like you have it, church, he knows that you don't have it, right? You don't have to pretend like you do. You don't have to pretend like you have it all together. Just, God, I don't have it to give today, but I need you to give it because I don't want to give it anyway. I don't have anything worthy of giving the way that you do. So we're talking a little bit about what being a priest looks like, and it sounds pretty good. You know, there's a cost, but I want to follow it. I don't know about you guys, right? But again, having a job title is good. A priest, okay, that's what I'm doing. We find purpose in our identity, right? I remember working at uh, a warehouse, Cormark, in Gardner, and there was someone who, their job, they had been there for years and years and years, and their job was to cut open boxes. It was like the entry-level position. Like, you, when you work there, you go in, and, like, you work towards not doing that anymore, and a lot of people would look at that as, like, oh, they stock shelves, Right? And so I used to work with this person, and I moved my way up the ranks into management, but I would still go and work with her. And sometimes I would talk to her, and I would say, why don't you ever go for a management position? You've been here forever. You know everything about this job. And she said, that's not for me. She said, because the thing is, lots of people want to be the manager. Lots of people want to drive the equipment, or lots of people want to do these other things. But if I don't cut my boxes, no customers get anything, Right? And so her perspective was, I know who I am because I know my purpose. I know what I'm supposed to do. And so I think that that's important that we're talking about being a priest. We're touching on it a little bit, but like, what is it? Does the word lay out what we're supposed to do as priests? Unfortunately, because God is good and he's smart, it does. So we're going to turn to Deuteronomy 10.8. And that highlights right there in that, that scripture. It's like a breakdown. Like if you're on Indeed again, right? This is a job position. This sounds good, and you click on it. Now you're reading, what are my responsibilities? This is where we're at, right? So Deuteronomy 10.8 says, At that time, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister to him, and to bless in his, holy, to, to bless in his name to this day. So the breakdown of our job description, if you missed that, is carry his presence, minister to God, bless the people, right? So we spoke earlier about carrying his presence wherever we go and stewarding a meeting place between God and man, Right? So the Ark of the Covenant represented God's presence on earth, his throne among the people. Now, it's funny. When I was growing up, when I was a kid, I felt like all of my theology about the Ark of the Covenant came from Indiana Jones. 
Like, I felt like I was pretty well-versed in what the Ark meant. I knew that if I was a Nazi, I definitely would not open it. Like, definitely do not do that, right? And that it's probably in a warehouse someplace. But the thing about the Ark is that it represented God's presence on earth, his throne among his people. And in Scripture, everywhere the Ark was carried by priests, there was life and there was mercy, there was victory in battle. Wherever we go, the blessing and authority and power of the Holy Spirit goes with us. Everywhere. Right? We are to carry his tent. We have the Ark of the Covenant, the Holy Spirit, with us. That was given to us when Jesus did what he did. And so now everywhere we go, that blessing is with us. Everywhere we go, the authority of what he did, greater things what we do than he did on this earth is what he said in his word, right? And we have that authority because of the Holy Spirit everywhere that we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this isn't on the screen, but it says that we're ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador carries the authority of his or her country no matter where they are, right? So if I'm an ambassador... For my country, and I go into another country, when I step on that soil, I am standing on the United States of America. I have the authority of the United States of America exactly where I'm standing, and it doesn't matter what is surrounding me, right? So when I go out into my workplace that is dark, that is worldly, that is the opposite of what I'm used to here, and I start to feel frustrated, I say, okay, I want to, I have your tent, and I want to set it up, but it's like 10,001, God. We are ambassadors for Christ. So part of that authority is when I step foot into that place, it doesn't matter how worldly that place is around me. They are subject to the authority that Jesus Christ gave to me. And that's not to toot my own own horn. That's to encourage us that that's the power that was given to us to do what he's called us to do. That we are an ambassador for him. And that's the authority that was given to us to be able to do that. What would our community look like if this, right? This is not everybody in our church. There's a lot of people that are sick. There's a lot of people who have been faithfully watching online. This is not everyone who calls Centerpoint home. What if 80% of the people who call this home walked into this truth tomorrow? They left this place and said, it's not good enough anymore to just sit here on Sunday morning and drink a cup of coffee and say hi to all my journey buddies and go back to work like I'm not doing anything else until it's Sunday again. What if, what if 20% of us were doing that? This community would be shattered for Jesus. But that comes at a cost. It's not free. This sounds good here. Right? We have to be truthful. This sounds great in a room full of people who all have one heart and one mind and one accord, and that's what I want to do. But you know as well as I do that when you go out into the world on Monday and it's you versus everyone on your crew versus everyone on your staff versus everyone wherever you are, that it's not as easy because the enemy is really smart too. But we have to be willing to accept the revelation through the Holy Spirit that I am an ambassador for Christ. I'm not alone when I step out there. That he's, this is what he's called me to do. So, minister to God is the next thing that I want to go to. There's not a single word for worship in Hebrew or Greek anywhere in the Bible that includes the idea of ministry to mankind when talking about worship. Did you know that? Right? And so, something that our culture has done really well is taken the worship of our king and turned it into something that's just for profit and just to feel good. Right. And I talked about that. I fell victim to that because I saw that. Right. I would watch these videos. I would go to these concerts and think, I want to do that. That looks fun. That sounds good. Uh, That's what I'm emulating. Right. And I'm not judging the hearts of people that are involved in 
anything, right? God's the only one who's going to judge them on Judgment Day. But all I'm saying is that our culture has done a really good job of turning worship to the king into something that feels good for me, right? And so I remember one time when I first started coming to church here, I probably come for a few weeks to get to know the songs a little bit, and there was this one song in particular. I don't remember the title, and I wouldn't say it if I did. That would be rude, but I just hated this song. Like, it didn't take many times for me to listen to it to go, well, the, the spirit has lifted when the song is played. Like, he just runs out the building and waits for that song to end to come back in, right? And so that song started playing, and so I was like, all right, this is the time I'm going to get up and go to the bathroom because I don't want to engage in this portion of service, and you're lying if you said you haven't done that at any point. So everyone has done that. Everyone has been like, this is the part of service I don't care about, so I'm going to go to the bathroom now so I don't miss what I want to see, right? And so I'm going to go to the restroom. I get up, and I go, and I'm like washing my hands for like a really long time, like trying to think, this song is this long? I don't think I've been gone long enough. I don't want to go back in there for this song. I was like dead set against it. And I came back and the usher opened the door and they were still doing the song that I hate but he opened the door and like the presence of God like blew me back I mean I don't know what happened because like I said God had like swiftly took off for the restroom right before me because the song was playing and he doesn't like it that's how I understood it anyway but like in that moment it was this (laughs) Sean your preference in that room has absolutely nothing to do with my worth with my people And the sooner that we can figure that out, the sooner we can start experiencing the presence of God the way that we're supposed to, right? I would challenge you that if you hear that kind of terminology when we talk about, oh, the presence of God is so great in here, we thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here, and that just doesn't make sense to you, that's okay, but I would challenge you to think, how much of the flesh are we letting get in the way? Am I sitting down here and going, like, the song's playing, but I don't know this one, so I wonder what I'm doing for lunch, and... Oh, man, like, you know, maybe you are a better musician than I am, and you think, man, that song just got faster and slower. I don't know what their deal is. They're supposed to be professionals up there. You know what I mean? All these thoughts that go through our mind, these things. And every Sunday we pray up here, first and foremost, God, anything that would distract us, take away. God, clear the fog of our minds because I don't want my attention on anything but your face. Because you tore the veil so I can do that. And it's pretty disrespectful to just choose to stay on the outer courts because I just want to worry about what's for dinner tonight, right? And so it's, it's important that we recognize that, that if what we're supposed to be doing is ministering to the Lord when we worship him, right? That's my job. I'm a priest. And one of the things I'm supposed to do is minister to the Lord. Then I have to recognize those things that are roadblocks, right? And so that's something we have to look at, right? I, I remember, again, when I first started just beating my head against the wall. Okay, I think the formula is fast song, fast song, medium, slow song, slow song. But then one Sunday, I'm doing a fast song, and people look like they want to vote me off the island. So I'm like, okay, nobody likes the fast songs. We're only doing slow songs. And the next week, people are like, oh, it's just so boring. And like, it was maddening trying to figure out what felt good to the room. And the amount of conversations that we had as a staff about the song can't be too wordy, but it can't be too repetitive and it's got to make sense and it's got, but people need to know it. So it's got to play on the radio, but they have to have heard it for, you know, it's just, it's madness, right? When you try to formulate worship, the songs we sing in church to what the congregation wants to hear, I'm trying to figure out how I can worship you guys, right? And I'm going to, I'm, <laughs> there's something else that's been on my heart. And if this steps on toes, cool because it's just it's something I thought about a lot and I I was talking with Pastor Zach a few months ago and there was a song that we did for a worship night and we were talking about 
the song and the lyrics of the song and how like it can kind of sound almost romantic, right? It can kind of sound like a love song and, you know, it got my, my wheels spinning because I would listen to it and it, I would engage with it on my own all the time. It was just something that clicked with me in my spirit. But I was thinking, as a man, right, this question is for the men in the room. I want you to, to look deep in your hearts and think, do I have a hard time in worship if we're at a place that's feeling kind of intimate and I'm talking about how I feel. Like, let's talk about today, right? The lion and the lamb. God is mighty. He's good. He's fighting my battles. Yes, that's good, right? To move your heart. I just want to move your heart. I'll, I'll break that alabaster jar and pour it over you. I'll do whatever. I will spend every waking second with you because you're all I want. If you feel uncomfortable in that place, do you think that that hinders your ability to press into the presence of God if we were able to figure out that I'm the bride of Christ as a man? Right? And this isn't a call out. This is something that I've been like stuck on. Is that, is that, is that a working of the enemy, right? Because we can, we can agree, right? The men know and the wives of the men that are married definitely know that men really struggle with feelings, right? And so that's just something to think. Like if I'm too concerned, if I'm in a place where I'm willing to talk about how great God is, but if we're starting to engage with the Lord in a way that's, I just desperately love you. I just desperately want your face. If I'm pulling out of that because that makes my flesh uncomfortable, am I ministering to God? It's just something to think about because I, 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 think, that, I think that it's at play. And I think it's an intentional choice by the enemy. And I don't want anything to hinder his presence because I have spent a lot of time trying to make it work on my own and my fail rate is impressive. And I imagine you can understand and feel the same way. So whatever I have to do to let him do it, I'm going to step aside. But the purpose of all of it is just to speak to and minister to the heart of the father, right? And that, that concept, it transcends what I feel like in the moment, like if they're my favorite songs are being played or if I don't like the way that this is happening. And it even comes into what is, right? I talked about my heart has to be right. And I will answer to God for that. Your heart has to be right when you walk into this place to press into the presence of the, the Lord, to be able to minister to the Father in the way that you're supposed to be. Your job as a priest is to make sure your heart is right. And I will tell you that we pray for each of you every single Sunday morning as well. Father, as they rise, let them rise with praise in their heart. As they rise, let them know who they are. Let them be prepared and vulnerable enough to let you minister to their hearts because nothing else can do what you can do. But that, that's our job as well. We have to look at that. But what's amazing is that when we do that, the second that we're willing to just get out of the way, he's here, right? He's enthroned on our praises. He's ready to transform lives. He's ready to heal wounds that have always been there. He's ready to set the captive free. He's ready to break bondage that has never been broken as soon as we're willing to step out of the way and just do what we were called to do. And so the last piece of our job description there is to bless the people, right? And this shouldn't come as much of a surprise, right? God loves his people, so we should love his people because he loves us and he loves them, right? It makes sense. But the thing is, 
bless the people means something a little bit different than, again, I think our culture understands, right? We would normally think of, like, if someone gave me 50 bucks, wow, what a blessing. Buy coffee, well, thank you for blessing me like that. I really appreciate that, right? Going up to whoever after a message, that really blessed my heart, right? That's what we think of with blessing. It's like that felt good in the moment. Something that you did or something that you said or something that you gave me made me feel good in that moment. That's what we think of when we think about blessing, right? And that's part of what it is, but that removes like the whole meat of what that means in the ancient biblical way to look at blessing, right? The fullness of the meaning is to speak blessing into other people. It's to be a catalyst to their destiny. A catalyst is something that sets off or speeds up a chemical reaction, right? That's what it means to bless someone as a priest, to be sensitive enough in the spirit to speak life into someone, to listen to what the spirit is saying to us, to listen to the voice of the father because we can hear him and to speak life into the people that are around us. That's what blessing someone means. If you look back in the Old Testament, there would be prophet after prophet after prophet. And if you see what they're speaking, it's not just, don't worry, your sprained knee is going to feel better. Wow, like, you lost 10 pounds, you look great, right? It was, you are going to receive the fullness of the blessing of the Father, but it won't end there. Generation after generation after generation after generation will call him Father because of, because of your obedience, right? When we look back at that, that is what blessing someone is. It is releasing something in the Spirit to another person, right? I can't do that if when I'm in this room, I think I really wish they had played this song instead. There's no way to listen to what the Father is speaking to me when I am listening to my own narrative of complaining in my head. It's not possible. So the thing to recognize is this is, this is what we are called to do. This is not something that some of us are. This is not some of us are pastors and some of us are evangelists and some of us are worship leaders. We are all priests, and this is what we are called to do. So I'm going to close with this question. Will you take the job? Right? We went online. We went on to Indeed. We saw a priest. That sounded good. We saw what the job description was. Yeah, I think I want to do this, right? The pay is right. The hours are good, whatever. But we say yes. But here's the thing. The cost that we keep talking about is what we want in the flesh. Right? So remember the Israelites. They answered the call of God, they thought, up to a certain point. They were in captivity, and God came to them and said, I've got a deal for you. If you will follow me, I will get you out of Egypt. Done. Let's go. Leave. Blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Provision upon provision. Everything that they needed. Not to be comfortable all the time, but everything that they needed to leave where they were from to where they're going right? They, they thought they were answering that call, but it was a moment before they laid it down because I'm sick of walking. You didn't tell me it was going to take 40 years. If you told me it was going to take 40 years, and maybe I would have renegotiated with you a little bit, right? That's the cost. It's a sacrifice of our flesh because I promise you something. Just because I come in here knowing that my mind has to be right 
with the Lord, that I have to be focused on him, does not mean we pray at eight o'clock, we rehearse, and I'm flying on the clouds. No, it's a little bit different than that. Actually, sometimes it is intentionally avoiding people that I know the enemy is sending to me to throw me off track. Not today. No, 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 no. I know what you're getting ready to say by the look on your face. We could talk about this on Monday. I have a job to do. Right? And so I challenge you with that. If you're willing to sit in here and say, I want to be a priest because I want the authority wherever I go. I want to be ambassadors. I want to have the good stuff. You don't get the good stuff without the sacrifice. It does not work that way. So if you wonder, why am I not seeing that? May I put in front of you the potential that maybe the cost has been too great up until this point. But thankfully, we serve a father who is endlessly graceful and not only willing to erase at all is just desperate to erase it right now. If you could see the heavenlies right now, it's just digging into the dirt. Release that. Give it to me right now and I will take it away. That second. So are you willing to do that? Because I promise you, I promise you that what you've been waiting for is on the other side of laying down your flesh. I promise you that that breakthrough that you are crying out for is on the other side of saying, even though I'm uncomfortable that you didn't give me what I wanted five days ago, I yield what I have to you because you've never, ever let me down. And the thing is, when we can do that, I can go into my workplace and see people that frustrate me. And what I would see is a person who was where I was. And now, instead of being frustrated because they're annoying me, I want them to know what I know. I know that you're responding to me out of pain, even if you don't understand it. So I'm not going to get offended because my ego is not uh, anything to do with this. I have the answer. Right? Seeds are planted everywhere that you go. I, listen, the job that I work is, it's a secular job. And the moment that I stopped being concerned about getting in trouble when I ministered to people is when it blew open. And that doesn't mean that I haven't been spoken to a couple times when it was like, uh, did you ask to pray for them before you prayed for them? Like, yes, I did, right? But that's, it, it was not, the moment, it instantaneous, the moment that it was, the Holy Spirit was prompting me, pray with this man, okay, I'm going to pray with you, right? I could tell you story after story after story, and does that mean that I saw transformation and everything was great? No, I saw transformation, and then I saw regress sometimes, but guess what? It doesn't matter, because God moved. God moved in response to my obedience, not because there's anything about me, because that's what I was waiting for, and all I had to do was get out of my own flipping way, So I'm going to ask you, are you going to accept that position? Are you willing to say that I'm going to do that, right? And it's going to require work, and it's going to require a community around you. You cannot do this on your own. If you'll notice, there was a tribe that were all called priests. There was a family that were all called priests. And I'm sure that some of the Levites had days where they were like, that golden calf sounds pretty awesome right now. But there were brothers and sisters around them that said, you are set apart for something different. So if you don't feel that you have that, seek it out because it's here. Right? This is a family or it's pointless. Right? This is, we have a great, big, pretty, fancy church building, but that's meaningless. This building is not what church is. The songs that we sing is not what church is. What church is is a body of people who want his presence and his face above everything else.
And as soon as we can grab a hold of that, we're going to see the breakthrough that we're looking for. So if you want to answer that call, if you want to answer the call to be a priest, please stand up with me as we close.